A new report claims the Fed might be ready to start relaxing restrictions. Plus, the FDIC admits fault in the First Republic Bank collapse and why a $50 deposit may have changed the lives of thousands of college hopefuls. Your market moment starts now. Hey guys, hope everybody's doing well. This is Matt Walters here with Eli Freeman. Mm-hmm. Eli, how are we doing? <laughs> I'm not doing very good, Matt. We, we went hiking this weekend. Okay. And we, we went to the Pea Ridge National Park and we thought, well, let's just go through some of the trails. The, like the military site? The military, the, yeah. yeah. Come to find out it's seed tick season. Mm-hmm. So we, we walked through a patch of seed ticks and... I'm not, I'm not going to lift up my pant leg, but yes, I have thank you. probably about 150 bites on my leg. And my legs are on fire. <laughs> so so if, you let, see, if, you see, Eli, if you see me scratching throughout the miserable. podcast, I got miserable. chiggers a few weeks ago. And that, like, it was, yeah, wake you up in the middle of the night, make you go crazy kind of yeah. itch. So if you hear nothing else on this podcast, don't go hiking right <laughs> yeah. now. Wait till it goes. Spray down. I, at get least the, some frosts. Get the in. extra strong D. Don't worry about the health mm-hmm. implications and just spray down. Yeah. I'm just going to spray Roundup on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a rough weekend. Well, we got some rain last night, which is good. Um, we're definitely getting into fall weather. The weather's turning for the cooler. <laughs> Eli's laughing again because I'm talking about weather. So I hope you guys had a great weekend. Um, l- several good topics we want to talk about mm-hmm. today. Market, um, kind of recap for last week, S&P 500 down 1.3%, the Dow Jones down 0.7%, and the NASDAQ down one9 CPI report coming out this Wednesday, so that's tomorrow. And that's big. Yeah, so that's a big one. Um, you know, the Fed has started to see um, some things. We've started to see some data that might mm-hmm. lead to believe that, hey, maybe the Fed won't increase rates in September. Yeah. Because we've seen some data that that shows things are cooling off, right? Mm-hmm. And the consumer's starting to be impacted. Inflation has come down. So this is the CPI report will be a big one. Um, you know, according to a new report by the Wall Street Journal, there's a consensus within the Fed um, to not raise rates at mm-hmm. next week's meeting. The Fed officials are still signaling for one more rate hike before the end of the year. As inflation data improves, policy opinion is shifting and members are feeling less urgency to tighten restrictions. So thoughts on that? I mean, we've been talking about this for quite some time, a couple years now, really. The Fed has been a yeah. recurring theme on here. But it is kind of not exciting, I guess, but it's it's in lo- it's uh, encouraging because it feels like maybe we're on the back end of mm-hmm. the Fed being as big and as important as they have been. Mm-hmm. We're so. definitely on the back end right now. And when it says consensus, there's a consensus that they won't raise hikes. All a consensus means is more than 50%. <laughs> right. right right now, it's right at like 60% of people think that they won't raise. Yeah. So that's still a it's still a 40% chance that they do raise. So there is a, there's still a chance that the Fed raises. But we definitely feel like we're on the back end currently. Yeah. The thing I'm, I'm worried about is inflation picking back up strictly due to energy prices yeah so energy from everything that i and i'm not an energy expert i have i haven't worked in the energy world but from everything that i'm reading supply is down Mm -hmm. worldwide on energy we just haven't we haven't had enough supply and if that starts picking up energy prices start picking up that's a big part of of the cpi yeah i was reading a report the other day they're saying you know four dollar a gallon gas mm-hmm. is we're creeping back up that direction mm-hmm. and um, could be around the corner this fall. And so 
Um, yeah, that'll definitely. You you mentioned something before we got on here about you know inflation has come down a lot, mm-hmm. but a majority of that is due to energy. Yeah, it was from the peak of inflation at I think it was nine point one down to July, which was three point something. It was like a five point nine percent spread. Four percent of that five point nine percent of difference came from energy, energy prices coming down. Yeah, yeah, because energy spiked so much. And that makes sense because I mean we don't see the prices coming down at the grocery store mm-hmm. or restaurants or I mean a lot of other areas of life they mm-hmm. don't. But um, we did see a spike in energy prices and then it kind of cooled off. And yeah. so just day to day, like you can kind of validate that. Again, though, those numbers are based year over year. Sure. In 2022, we had the huge spike in prices. The dollar, the national average was at $5 per gallon. So it's hard to use year over year numbers when you have such large spikes in a short time frame. Right. Right. Well, let's, I mean, to kind of wrap up the Fed conversation, let's, you know, we'll get the CPI report Wednesday. Mm -hmm. I might talk about that. Depending on what that says, I might talk about that in the data brief on Mm -hmm. Thursday because that's, that's a big one. Um, but that that will be enlightening in terms of leading into the Fed meeting and what we should expect or could expect coming out of that. I think the Fed would rather go too far than not far enough. Mm-hmm. But I also think the Fed doesn't want to overly surprise the markets, right, and do anything crazy in the short term. Mm-hmm. Like I think, um, you know, their goal is not to shock the system mm-hmm. in the short term. It's just to make sure that they don't stop too soon, that we don't, so that we don't see inflation kind of accelerate again, reaccelerate. You had some interesting thoughts on Fed interest rates and the tenure. Yeah, the the well, we were, I was listening to a podcast um, the other day, and they were talking about how you know for a while the consensus was the rates were going to come back down. So mm-hmm. the, you know, the yield curve has been inverted, still is still inverted, but has been inverted for quite some time. And, you know, the 10 year was much, much, much lower than the two year, you know, if you're looking at the ten year, two and 10 year treasury rates. Um, and that's, it's still the case, but the 10 year is kind of rallying, mm-hmm. meaning like the 10 year rate is climbing. Um, it kind of put in a, it put in a floor and kind of, um, touched that floor a few different times and then has has climbed over the last couple months. And so what you're seeing there is expectations are now not so much rates being cut or coming down over the long term, but rates are becoming more and more, uh, people are thinking more and more that rates may stay higher for longer. And so um, that's not uh, not trying to make a case that that's a good or bad thing. It's just people's expectations well, I, for the I, long term. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> But, but, I mean, that just cha- says people's expectations are changing in this idea that, hey, they're going to increase rates quickly, but then they're going to immediately, like, subsequently start cutting them. Mm-hmm. I think people are starting to realize, like, no, we might put in a floor here with rates for a while that's much higher mm-hmm. than the floor we've been used to for the fa- last 15 years. Yeah. Well, we've been in an interest rate environment where it, the interest rates were so low that everyone expected if you raise interest rates to 5% floor, 4% floor – Something's gonna break. Something's gonna break, and we're yeah. now a year, eighteen months, and it ish. it still feels like it could, but it's incredible, truly incredible that it hasn't already mm-hmm. caused you know um, something to something to break. And so, so as people are digesting that, that's and the reason I say I'm bullish. People's long term sentiment is that rates are going to stay higher, which means that the economy is staying strong enough to support to support that higher yeah. rates. Yeah. So bullish. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We need to get old John on the podcast. Yeah, John will bring you back down to reality pretty quick. So, um, 
Next topic, FDIC admits default. So this is a this was interesting. According to Reuters, the FDIC released a report Friday saying its supervisors were too generous in gauging some of the first bank uh, First Republic Bank's risks prior to its failure, especially concerning interest rates and uninsured deposits. So the FDIC that found that over a period of time when the bank doubled in size, the time its supervisors actually spent at the lender declined. So don't don't want to spend too much time on this, but kind of interesting to see someone like the FDIC and you know FDIC come out and say like, hey, we admit we, fault. Yeah, we we probably missed this, and that's that's on us um, a little bit. So um, I'm sure they're gonna do what they can to make sure that doesn't happen again. Because mm-hmm. that was a you know everything is fine, and there was a um, there hasn't been a banking crisis, but there was a period there where it was like oh, shoot, you know, this could get dicey pretty mm-hmm. quick if we started to see this widespread issue across regional banks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one of those scenarios. That's like kind of one of those black swan events where, you know, you want you want to shock the system mm-hmm. as a whole, like put doubt in people's minds in terms of the security of the banks, yeah. the banking system. Something that we're seeing, and this happened in the banking event, is there is a velocity that comes with social media. Yeah. In many different ways. Right. You can have that in meme stocks, where meme stocks fly up only because of Reddit tweets. Right. You can have that in bank runs. You can have that in many different areas, all of it due to social media and what people are putting out and what gets trending. And if it gets trending, that can make huge ripples that the market or banks or businesses haven't seen. Like Even like the Bud Light. Yeah. It's yeah. Social media took it, ran with it. Right. They can be social issues. They could be yeah. financial issues for sure. Yeah. I mean, the speed in which things happen today mm-hmm. is so exponential compared to what it was just 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think as an investor, you def- you have to, one, you have to take that risk into consideration and know what you're comfortable with in terms of short-term volatility. Mm-hmm. And two... Um, I think to to some degree as a long-term investor, you just have to be willing to accept that that's the reality, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you're going to have these one-week, two-week, three-month, six-month swings that sometimes can be caused by um, just how fast information flows that are not necessarily setting in longer-term trends. They're, it's truly just short-term mm-hmm. volatility that, um, you know, took over. If you were to... If you were to tell a client how often as a long-term investor they should look at their portfolio. We talked about this a little bit. Yeah. What do you think is, as a long-term investor, a good checkpoint to start actually looking at your portfolio? Obviously not daily. No, not no, not anywhere close to daily. I mean, I would say for most people, especially if you are, if you have a, if you have a plan and not, not to over, you know, sell the idea of a plan, but like a plan is super important. We talk about it a lot. But if you have a financial plan and um, someone, an advisor, whoever it may be, is helping you manage that plan, you know, I think one to two times a year is perfectly fine. I think you at least need to be looking at it once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, quarterly might be fine for some people. More than quarterly, I think you start to get into, like, you're, you're not um, – you're probably only – you're, you're potentially creating more anxiety in your day-to-day, month-to-month, uh, mm-hmm. than is what it, than that's necessary. So you would argue even even maybe once a year? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely situational. Sure. Right, and so if, 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 if it's for someone who 
stresses over that more or it creates anxiety more, I would say, hey, let's let's check it less. Let, let's check it less. You know, we can have a conversation. If it's like someone I'm working with, mm-hmm. let's have a conversation about it more regular than that. But in terms of you just signing in on your own and looking at things without context of what's been going on and mm-hmm. how it's changed your plan or whatever, you know, I wouldn't do that just on your own on, on too regular of a basis. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of people, like once a quarter is great. Like, you're going to have an idea of, you know, you're going to keep track of what's going on, um, but you're not going to stress over the day-to-day. So I had coffee this morning with a local real estate developer, and they raise funds typically from pretty high net worth individuals. Mm-hmm. And the hold period is typically you're looking at a five to 10-year hold period before they do any form of cash out sale or yeah. anything like that. And I asked him, I said, well, what investor are you looking for? And he said, well, I'm looking for a patient investor because we're talking about five, 10, maybe 15 right. year hold periods. Long-term capital. And it got me thinking, if we could <clears throat> get investors to do the same thing in the real estate market where they invested and basically just put it off to the side, didn't worry about it. You mean in the stock market? In the, sto- in the yeah. stock market. If we could invest, put it off to the side, not even think about it, we would probably get better returns for our clients because there would be no emotion. Yeah. It would be a 5, 10, 15-year hold period. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, yes, I think we all fall victim to, because of the liquidity that is provided and afforded to us in the public markets as mm-hmm. we know them, we look at our statements and we look at that and we see that as a cash balance, right? Mm-hmm. You look at that and it has a dollar sign in front of it and you know, like, I could sell everything today and that's what I would get. And that's how we psychologically see that number as that is like a spendable amount, right? Or that is the value that I have. When in reality of like, if you have no intention of selling it and you're not, those funds aren't for three months from now or today or when, like, it doesn't really matter what the current value says, like, just like a real estate investment, Mm -hmm. like it matters what's in five years or 10 years, like when you need it, when you're, when you're um, needing the liquidity and going to be selling that asset. But real estate's, it's easier to do that, I would argue, because the liquidity is not there. And you know that going in that you're going to be forced into more of a illiquid and longer term holding period, right? Where with stocks, the idea that I could sell this at any given second and any given given day that market is open, mm-hmm. like you view that as a cash balance when in reality, it's not. It's the value of the assets that you own mm-hmm. at the time and what someone else is willing to pay for those. But if you, if you don't need to sell them or have to sell them, like who cares, mm-hmm. right? Like who cares what that quote says in that given time? So I completely agree with you. If you can have that long-term mindset, um, it's absolutely the best mindset to have as a long-term investor. But it is hard because we all know I could sell this right mm-hmm. now and that, that would feel good because I'm, I'm anxious or nervous, right? Yeah. And so that's tough. And so I've used the house... I actually used this with with someone not too long ago about, you know, how how anxious would you be about your your this maybe isn't the best example because home prices have skyrocketed in the last couple of years. But if someone walked up to your front door every single morning and said, this is what I'd pay you for your house, you would care a lot more and you'd probably be more concerned and you'd probably question about how long you wanted to live there and stuff. If people started showing you up and that value started declining and it was every day. It was a smaller amount. It was a smaller amount. It was a smaller amount, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to think about the idea of selling it or what that asset just in a different way than you do when 
No, and that's kind of what Zillow's created for people, right? Yeah. They look at that, and it's just changed the mindset. And that's what you have with the stock market. Every single morning you wake up and someone's sitting there handing you, hey, this is what I'd pay you for all these assets in this account. Um, so you always have that in the back of your mind, like, hey, I could I could sell this, mm-hmm. right? And so, and then it's mine. And then it's mine. It's spendable, right? So you got to keep in mind, you know, what that value is on your sheet. That is not cash. Like, you can't spend that until you sell it. It is an asset that you own. Um, so until you're ready to um, use that or you need that, don't over um, complicate the ups and downs of what that balance says. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we weren't planning on talking about any of that, but that was a good <laughs> conversation. Um, so I don't even know how we got started on that. That started with FDIC admits default. <laughs> so talk about a rabbit hole. Um Anyways, just, just like your eighth grade history teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Last conversation, college savings plan. So can a $50 deposit be the difference maker in whether a child ends up going to college? So San Francisco implemented a new program in 2011 that started savings accounts for all students entering kindergarten. Those students are now entering their first semester of college. The kindergarten to college program puts 50 in each new newly created account and offers small incentives such as $20 match each year a family adds funds. This past year, the first class in the program graduated high school with an average of $1,422, enough to pay for a year at some of California's community colleges. So since the program started, balances have grown to $15 million. Um, A study showed that children from low- and moderate-income households with school savings of less than $500 are three times more likely than children with no savings to enroll in college and four times more likely to graduate. So an author of a separate study that inspired the K to, uh, the kindergarten to college program spoke on a podcast in May saying a lot of it comes down to less about the dollar amount and more about what it does in changing families' mentality. Take a listen. There's one little interesting story. Um, in my childhood, like I said, I grew up in a really poor neighborhood around poor people, but there was this one kid whose father had a savings account for him and was saving for him to go to college. And he would always tell everybody in the neighborhood. And we always thought a little bit differently about the kid because they had this plan for him to go to college. They were saving for him to go to college. But later in life, now I'd seen how that kind of left an impression on me that this kid would have this account, how it affected everybody in the community and how they thought about him and, and how he thought about himself and how his dad thought about him and his expectations for him. Like the power of kind of having this early uh, asset account was really important. The kid ended up going to Cornell University, Ivy League school, and uh, doing quite well in life. And largely, and he was just seen so differently by us all just because of that account, in which they didn't have enough money in that account to fully pay for an education at Cornell University. But it was just the fact that they had this different set of expectations for the kid that really mattered. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's... um... Like, I can see that. I can see how, like, setting expectations, how maybe that, uh, you, what, no matter how small of an account it might be or how little money you may be putting into it, just the idea that there's a there is a goal or a plan and that's creating conversations around that. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, you know, I can see how that's beneficial. We tell people all the time, like, when you have a goal, you may not be able to do everything you need to do to get there today, but, like, start doing something, mm-hmm. um, even if it seems like amount that's not going to um, – not going to add up to be a lot like it's building those habits Mm -hmm. and so this i think that's great and you know it's not too often to you can say 
San Francisco came out with a good program yeah. that turned out to be <laughs> successful. But this sounds like it's been, just from what I know about it, that it's been a good program that's, that's you know, done good for a lot of people. To me, it sounds like when I, when I started running, the advice that was given was put your shoes outside of your door. Yeah. So whenever you walk out the door, your shoes just go on and you can't help but run. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. Put some money into an account so that whenever the time comes, you basically are like, well, I've got to go. And the the advice I've heard on the like on the running example that's funny that you said that was when you're you know when you can't we're not used to getting up and doing something physical get up and put your shoes on and walk out the door even if you don't go anywhere just that that habit of like waking up mm-hmm. tying your shoes and going out the front door and then like every day try to progress and go a little bit further mm-hmm. you know it's just building that habit and so it, it sounds elementary and yeah. you know basic but you got to start somewhere and most people stop with the idea or um, the energy they get from thinking I want to do this and they never actually do anything. And so you would rather take a baby step that could lead into more steps than than have a great idea or be motivated for a period of time mm-hmm. and never do anything. And so very cool program. We've got an account with your name on it. Go to school. Go to school. Yeah. And so if you're someone out there, you know, by all means, there's pros and cons to you know, different accounts and different places you can put money. But if you don't know what to do and you're, you're about to have a kid or you've got a grandchild or you have children and um, maybe you can't do a, a ton of planning or set a ton of money aside for them, by all means, open up a 529 account and put 25 bucks a month mm-hmm. into it, right? And talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, I'm doing this for you. Um, and yes, it, it may not be a ton, but I'm doing it. I'm sacrificing in this way so that you can go X, Y, Z. And I think... You'd probably be amazed at the long-term impact that could have on a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think it's good. So any parting thoughts or words for today? Very good discussion. Yeah. Um, CPI report Wednesday, big one. Um, be sure to check out the data brief. Also check out David's new book. It's on Amazon. You can jump on and buy it uh, digital or paperback. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll be having some maybe some giveaways with that or ways you can get that for free here coming up in the near future. So thought of the day, as always, want to end with a thought. This one's from Zig Ziglar. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. It's almost like Matt knew what we were going to be talking about. Uh, that's the first time I read that quote, um, but it was a perfect one to end this conversation on. So as always, we appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time on The Market Moment. that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. 
valuation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-onefinancial.com disclosures.